Hello, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the February 8th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This program offers a means for getting us through November 3rd, December 3rd, January 3rd, and of course, past January 6th. With my special guests, we can collectively clear the debris from the last four days, the last four weeks, last four years, or the last 400 years, or even so many millennia. For today's show, we turn to immigration, a narrative that lays out the complexities of a journey from Morocco to eventually Nevada, USA. This coverage is a bit of a lure to all listeners to pursue all those narratives in their midst. It's never what you think it is. Now, let me introduce my guest. She is Fatima Majid, born in Casablanca, Morocco, and raised in Casablanca and Paris, France. Fatima immigrated to the USA together with her husband 22 years ago. She's currently a Starbucks manager in Las Vegas. As the daughter of a middle-class Moroccan father from Casablanca and a French mother from Paris, she knows firsthand the struggles middle-class families go through. The bigger the goals, the bigger the challenges. She earned a Diplôme d'Administration, which is the equivalent to an MBA here in the US, and also earned a fitness degree through an online school. She's been a volunteer for the past six years at an animal shelter. I became acquainted with Fatima in October of 2016, when we were both canvassing voters around the metropolis of Las Vegas in the run up to the 2016 general election. We've been in touch from time to time, which has been such a delight for me. Now, Fatima joins me from her home in Las Vegas for digging out. Hello there and welcome, Fatima. Hi, Claudia. Thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate your willingness to talk about this all personal story of your repatriating process so that native-born people can get some insight about what you have to contend with toward being naturalized and what you've had to leave behind. This rich culture that you left behind in Morocco that blended the Berber, the Arabic, Sephardic Jewish and West African traditions, and then through a Paris, which is a very cosmopolitan setting too, and then to Nevada. Can you talk about how you got all the way to Nevada from there? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for taking the time to want to dig out and uh, dig in, I want to say, and uh, find out how um, a Moroccan, half Moroccan, half French um, uh, woman actually ended up in Las Vegas from Casablanca, Morocco, from Paris, France to Las Vegas. I actually visited the United States in 1994 for the first time with my father when I was around 19 or 20, but who's counting? How did I end up in the United States? Um, my husband have a culinary degree. We, he owned a, a small shop in Casablanca, Morocco. I mean, my husband always been about food. He considers food an artist, always called his restaurant his little shop, his little heaven. But um, a friend of his owned an operated uh, restaurant in the United States, called him up and asked him if, he would be interested in coming to the United States and own um, some of the restaurant with him, kind of manage and own 
uh, be an owner. So he offered him an ownership in one of the restaurants. That was in 1997. Uh, by 1998, we came in here the first time on uh, what we call business visa. Two years later, my husband actually ended up being selected. I'm not sure. Uh, do you know what the, it's, it's called the versatile lottery? Not everybody's familiar with that, but it's a lottery. Does it not allow anyone in the world? There Are there certain numbers per country or is it just, it's all over the world. There's like 10,000 visas in a lottery that could be granted. I believe it's the United States have certain uh, yearly amount of those visas that could be granted. But I believe it's like 50,000 for the entire, for the world. Right. Uh, which would be for all continent. There is, of course, uh, not every country actually is um, eligible, but Morocco at that time uh, was and is still is a part of that um, diversity program. At first, it was kind of a shock, a surprise, a pleasant surprise. We did not know what to do at first, but uh, we followed the process, which was at first uh, kind of expensive because um, there is some fees that you have to pay at first and you have to go through a very, very strict screening. Uh, you have to go also through some health screening. And it's a time. Um, it's a very specific clock. You have to stay right on track to get it done in a certain time frame. Correct. Um, I believe we had between the time that we were selected, we were a winner. We call them winner of uh, that diversity uh, visa to be able to immigrate to the United States. I believe we had 90 days. Uh, oh, wow. to get all that process. So between leaving behind the jobs that we had, at that time, I worked as an assistant for a marketing department for PNG, and that's Procter & Gamble, Morocco. Actually, it was a really good job. My boss was uh, from the United States, so I am I was already familiar with them. Not as good as uh, English, my English now, but I was familiar with the culture, with the United States, what the United States is all about, and that kind of stuff. So that's how we ended up here. Uh, the first time that we came in here, we went straight to Rapid City. That's in South Dakota. That's where my husband's from had the restaurant. We actually lived in Rapid City, South Dakota for four years. From there, the restaurant was a success. So we were offered another ownership in another restaurant in Wyoming. Same, it's an Italian restaurant. So we, again, gathered everything that we had in Rapid City, and we took two loans to be able to have that partnership again for another restaurant in Casper, Wyoming. Thankfully, that restaurant was also a success. All the loans were paid off. We kept our ownership from the restaurant. Uh, my husband was, what we did is he manages the back, the kitchen, and I always managed the front house. So until now, Claudia, still looking back at everything that had happened since we got here in 1998 until now, it has been a long ride. <laughs> um, so when did, when did you get to Las Vegas? Uh, we got to Las Vegas in 2012. From Casper, Wyoming, we, there were um, some issues with the owner, with my husband's friend. He was not, at that time, he did not live in the United States. He lived in Italy. He lived in Italy, but we were taking care of the, his restaurant in the United States. My husband requested a majority ownership, which is 51 to 50. So we can uh, manage the restaurant the way we want. We can adjust the restaurant to whatever we think it's better for the business. My husband did not agree to certain things and certain um, ideas with his. We actually sold our half of the restaurant to him. 
And we moved to Sioux City. We opened our own restaurant with the new brand name, uh, new menu, uh, the whole works, the licenses. We went through all that process. Unfortunately, that was in 2007. And you know what happened in 2007? That uh, uh, everything just, the market just crashed. We had the entire country, unfortunately, was had to recession. So the first six months were like a magical ride. I mean, uh, the restaurant was busy. Every day we were making at least 11,000 or 12,000 on the weekends. But again, um, uh, six months later, we had like one table here, one table there. So we decided instead of having other, the restaurant in Rapid City that we still own, pay for the expenses for another restaurant that is failing, we just closed it. And we ended up in um, Las Vegas. Okay. To build something brand new there, or were you able to? We were done with owning with the restaurants ownership. But a small business is to run a small business. It's really, really hard work, uh, Claudia. You have to be there every day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five a day. And that's unless you want to give up everything that you have, your life, your time with your family, with your kid, with your husband, anything that you do. We were okay with just going back. I mean, my husband has a culinary degree. I have. Um, uh, something that is equivalent to an MBA. I can always find a job and I'm happier now. My husband is an executive chef at the Caesar Palace. He's happy where he's at. He, we're still on assets to our jobs. We still enjoy our job, but it's not the same responsibility when you own your own business. It's just, it, it's a choice that you can make. And we, I understand. Yeah, we decided Fatima, that. Yes. Fatima, excuse me. I wanted the, for listeners to be a bit privy to the extent you're willing to talk about you and your husband were able to come on the diversity visa, the contest that you won essentially, but there were many family members. You both had your extended families that remained in either Casablanca or other parts of Morocco, correct? My husband is half French, half Italian, but uh, he also did grow up. Half of his life actually was in Imperial Liguria, Italy, and the rest was in Casablanca. That's where we met. But yes, he left a family behind in Morocco and where actually we lived, mostly lived. So did I, my mom and my dad. I have two sisters back there. I have one sister in France and I have a brother in Italy. So we're, our family actually is scattered between France, Italy and Morocco. But um, yeah, we all left friends behind, moms behind, dads behind. So we, left, we all left nice. family behind to actually get the chance to come to the United States and for a better life. Fatima, when was the last time your extended family was in the same place? My mom and my dad, fortunately, were able to visit me twice. The first time was in 2001. And the second time actually was in 2017, just most, well, three years ago. It feels like it's been longer than that. But mom and dad were here in Las Vegas in 2017. For a whole month. They actually enjoyed it very, very much. But so they must have been here before September 2001 then, correct? Correct. Because that would have been a whole different travel picture for them at, at once 9-11 had occurred. Absolutely. And I was not trying to go to take your mind back there, Claudia, but yes. Yes. So we've been in touch from time to time. And I want for listeners to appreciate what you conferred with me about. But there's the matter of your siblings, one sister and one brother who at different times were interested 
in joining you here. They wanted to become residents of the U.S., correct? Absolutely, yes. They wanted to come to this wonderful country, I mean, to the land of the free, and make a better life. And to be honest with you, that's not the only part. I mean, I want to have family here. I am missing uh, Claudia, my choice to live overseas means I miss my grandpa funeral. I miss two cousins' wedding. I have cousins I have never met. I have two nephews I haven't yet to meet. One of them is now two years, and the other one is only four months old. I'm hoping to see them in one or two years, but who's coming? Not that I am here. I mean, let's not even get started on the list of friends and milestone miss. I mean, you really leave everything and everybody behind. But again, that's a choice that you make. So in one case, your, your brother was filing for a visa. Can you talk about the barriers and the outcome of his applying for a visa? Okay, so I'll walk you through uh, from how I actually, we got to become citizen. When you are a diversity lottery winner, you come to the United States, you can apply automatically apply for what we call green cards. Five years after you've actually been a U.S. citizen, a good citizen, a good U.S. citizen, you have the ability to apply for citizenship. But for you to be able to apply for U.S. citizenship, you have to denounce, you have to give up your if you're Moroccan, you are no longer going to be Moroccan. If you're French, you are no longer going to be French. So you can't have dual citizenship. What happened is after being here for five years, we did choose to actually become citizen. We wanted to become citizen of this country. And we did become citizen in 2000, I believe, six. And that's when I applied for my youngest brothers. I applied for an immigration visa for him. And that's uh, what we call 131 petition. It's a petition that you file. So you pay the fees and you file the form and you send them out. I mean, you have to prove that you are in good standing as far as sponsoring them financially. So this was in 2006. I only got approved for that petition and he was awarded a visa in 2019, 13 years later. Yes. So um, by that time, my brother was already here in the United States, but waiting 13 years for that visa to actually even be granted to us. And I appreciate that, but it's a long time. So I contacted, I know that uh, my youngest sister, because she's like my, my, she's my baby sister. She's like my kid. I am very close with my family. We're, we're, yes. I talk to my sisters every day. I talk to my mom Every day, I still talk to my dad time to time. Or My point is that we're very close family. My youngest sister is married, had to kiss her husband um, with the catering business. And she's yes. the wedding, wedding planner. She was like, well, uh, when are you going to come back? And I was like, well, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to go back to Morocco or France. This is home now. And th- this country does grow on you. But um, anyways, it was like, well... I don't want to cry, but um, I am missing everything right now. I'm missing their birthday, their kid's birthday. So I was hoping that I could, she, she actually showed interest in coming here to live in the United States and to have a life in the United States. So I contacted the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, and I asked them what the 
at the time that I was told that was an unusual request. I asked them if there is any way that that visa can be transferred to the benefit of my sister. I was not asking for them to waive the fees. I was not asking for them to waive any paperwork or any screening or anything like that. I was just asking if that visa that I waited for 13 years can actually can be transferred to the benefit of my sister. The answer was no. So now I still did apply for a visa for immigration, immigrant visa for her, but I am sure I'm gonna have to wait 13 years. I am already old as is. I just do not think it's, it's fair for me to wait another 13 years to have a family member here with me that we can celebrate birthdays, we can go out together, we can, we can, I, I just want some, a, a family member here with me in the United States. This, this is home now, but when you stay home, you really have, this is where everybody should be. I mean, home, when you stay home, this is where your family is. This is where your friend is, your work. I don't have any, well, I have you here and I have my brother, of course, my son and my husband. I was hoping to get my sister. I waited for that visa for 13 years, like I said. I don't understand why can't that visa go to another family member in the same category. I contacted the uh, the congressman office, the Stephen Horsford. I contacted the senator, uh, another senator, Catherine Cortez. I I it, it the, the, nobody has an answer for me. It's so just, for, I uh, just want to mention for anybody who's just tuning in, my guest on digging out is. Fatima Majid, she's a Moroccan-American and telling her immigration story, giving us a perspective of what I think most listeners really do take for granted, what home means, what home, what the comforts are of home in one's midst. And she's talking about various relatives that have tried to I mean, it's really a matter of visiting, and maybe there were, were was there goal to become repatriated or they simply just want to be with you legally for three to six months? No, actually, as far as visiting, tourist visa is not that hard to get if they wanted to come to just visit. But my sister, I actually want her to come here and live with me, not live with, but to be here with me in the United States. Yes. She has two kids. Uh, she has a daughter that is 10 years old and she has a son that is seven years old. In Morocco, they go to schools that teaches French and English. So their, their English is really as, well, um, um, not as good as mine, but they're... they're uh, I do not want to cry, Nusha. <laughs> uh, um, it is so, it is so sad with such longing, Fatima. Um, it's so sad. I, I, I think that, um, if you were born in the United States, you don't know what other people actually, uh, that, that are less fortunate. I'm not saying that Morocco is a bad place to be or France is a bad place to be, but, uh, this is the United States of America. I mean, this is. There is nothing that you cannot make happen here. Like if you have a goal and you have a plan, you, you have a direction where you need to go and what the steps that you need to take, you can do or you can become anything you want here in the United States. I doubt that being a start from, a, well, I can probably manage a restaurant in 
Casablanca, Morocco, but you have to know somebody that will know somebody that will know another person that can actually give you a referral to hire you somewhere where you can make good money. I mean, I had a good job. I worked for an international company, Procter & Gamble, Morocco. Yes, I was an saying. intern with them for a year and a half before I actually accepted a job with them. If I had left and wanted to actually get a better job, I probably would not be as easy. And it, it was not easy for me to get a job here, Claudia, to be honest with you. In Rapid City, I started as a front desk clerk. <laughs> Mm -hmm. My English was not that good. That was in time, 1999, a year after we came into the United States. And from there, um, I worked uh, uh, customer service, uh, various companies. I mean, various, I worked retail, uh, JCPenney, I worked at Macy's. I was always good at my job and I always had the chance to be promoted. I believe that if you work hard and you have a goal, you can always reach. You can always your, your reach your goal. The struggles will be there. It was never easier to get hired right away. I'm sure that's the struggle that all minority are going through, especially when we're talking about good jobs, management job. At, at first, when I started applying for even entry level management job, it was not that easy. I had to go through. A lot of interviews, not couple, but like dozens or probably sometimes more than dozen interview to actually be able to lend a second interview. But um, to be honest with you, I'm very persistent. And um, if I want to do something, I, I, I do it. Uh, a no does not keep me from trying again and again. Actually, a no will make me work harder to get a yes from someone else. And um, I guess uh, it pays up. And I'm a Starbucks manager now. I love my job. I'm not saying that there is no challenges. There is always challenges. Um, I'm still a minority. But um, uh, things are, it gets easier for you. You really have to know how to navigate those challenges. People will open up to you when they see what you're worth and how you can be an asset to them. So um, I never regret moving to the United States, not one bit. So Fatima, what is it like as your aspirations for getting together with family, or maybe there are also friends that were seeking some kind of help or sponsoring. What's it like when you're watching from year to year, how immigration policy becomes a more complex and, you know, and extremely changeable and B that by the time we hit January, 2017, it became a very constricted kind of uh, entry into the country. What has it been like for you to observe that the trend that just sort of piled on the debris for people wanting to make a good faith effort to repatriate here? You've seen well, a lot. Uh, <laughs> I have, and I'm sure that there is other people that are in the worse circumstances than I am, Claudia, uh, people that have been separated from their families, from their kids. I thank God uh, Morocco is not like, well, let's, let, let, let's just back a little bit. In the United States, we can't even compare um, a Latino or Hispanic population to the Moroccan population that lives in, I believe I, I did some studies, I kind of um, just looked it up on online. There is only about a little bit over 300,000 Moroccans that are living in the United States, originally wow. that are from Morocco. And there's but about there, 40, 40, 38 million that live in the country, correct? 
Correct. Correct. Yeah. But okay. there is 59 million of Latino that lives here. So this is, we, there is no comparison. No. Um, I am sure uh, the challenges are still the same. But here's what I learned to uh, Claudia. There is like for immigration visa, the entire, everybody that's here in the United States and uh, that are U.S. citizens that came from other countries and become U.S. citizens and are trying to get a, a brother, a sister, or a dad, or for the entire, in the United States as a whole, for everyone, it looks like the, the amount of visa that are, immigration visa that are granted each year are around like 675,000 for everybody. Yes. I can't even imagine uh, me as being in the last category, getting a visa. That's, that's, that's why is that way. And it's either that if someone is all the way to, I'm talking about the politician, politics. Either they're all the way to the left or they're far all the way to the right. Why can't they be in the middle? I am sure uh, if someone actually wants, has good intention and really uh, wants to help, I am sure they can help. I don't have to hate you because you have a different opinion, of, of different opinion that, than mine. But we can sit down and we can talk. We can sit down and we can come up with ideas. My idea plus your idea, does, we can compromise. We can probably come with like a, we can meet in a common ground. But to be honest with you, I am not really hopeful. Um, I have tried to reach out to some of the Moroccan in New York because the majority of Moroccan actually are in New York or Florida. Okay. Um, uh, everybody in the same boat. So I, to be honest with you, it's just a, a waiting game right now. I am not ready to wait another 13 years to have um, my sister. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be over 60 by then. Well, when you were working on her paperwork, it was just before you were mid-process, probably exhausted most of the measures that were available to you under the previous administration. But and then the pandemic hit, and we just are, are discussing your options came to a halt. You had probably decided not to pursue any congressional delegation to champion your cause. There was some, um, to be honest with you, I, like I said, I do believe that if you have a goal and you wanted to do something, have a plan, but, and reach out to people that, you know, reach out to people that can help you reach out to, to be honest with you at that time, I reached out to everybody and anybody yes. that can help me, everyone. I guess my issue was one of those issues that there is, um, it's just a dead end. Nobody is wanting to listen to something that is the first because everybody was like, yeah, you're, you're crazy. They're not going to transfer that visa. Visas are not transferable between a person and a person. When you, when their visa is granted, it is granted to that particular person because the background was done for that particular person. Uh, the screening was done for, I was like, okay, just help me understand this. Why is it crazy? Isn't it, isn't my sister in the same category as my brother? Why can't that visa go to her benefit instead of just waiting another 13 years? I've already waited 13 years for that visa to actually be granted, to, to be accepted. But again, um, it's not about uh, what I think. It's obviously the law and nobody is going to change that. 
It's not going to no, change. No, it's a new administration. There may, there may be higher numbers of goals for visas to be granted, for asylum cases to be processed in a more expedient way. You're not talking about asylum, but I'm just saying the whole, the whole pipeline has been jammed up for four years. So they're with the new administration. But I, I, I'll put that aside, that topic of transition. But what is it like alongside fellow immigrants is, I don't know if you have any just quick story to talk about how, what it's like, is it how complex it is to relate to fellow immigrants, um, recent immigrants. I mean, I assume we, we all, we understand that we're all immigrants for the most part, but, and what do you permit, let's say a native born person to inquire about your situation? You Do you welcome them or are, is it unwelcome? Do you wish people were more curious? What so that's a two-parter there. Be in, amongst the immigrant sort of community, is there such a thing, you know, in Clark County, Nevada and beyond? And, or, and how people, how much are they permitted to hear? How curious would you like them to be about your own situation, your own story? So uh, let's start with um, the, what's going on in my community. And uh, if anybody's curious about uh, first of all, uh, Claudia, like I said, being from Morocco, being Moroccan from Morocco, there is not a whole lot. There is not uh, a whole lot of Moroccan here in Clark County. Right. Uh, I want to say, uh, if I wanted to, to compare like me to my fellow Latino, I mean, like I said, there is 59 million uh, at least uh, Latino here in the United States. So mostly and highly likely someone that is a, a, a Latino will find more support because there will be more people that are Hispanic here around this area. Than they Morocco, have peers here. That, than Morocco, correct. How much do I want to be open about this? I, I, to be honest, Claudia, if, if we don't talk about something, if, there's an, if there's, there is a struggle or if there is an issue, we would not be able to resolve that. We would not be able to channel that to something else if we don't talk about it. So I am open to talk about this, my situation, uh, the struggle that I'm going through right now to be able to bring my sister, by the way, her name is Miriam. <laughs> yes. In the United States. But um, uh, I welcome anybody that is curious about uh, my story. I welcome anybody that is actually willing just to listen. I would love to talk about this more with anybody that actually can just listen or someone that can help. But um, if there is something, if there is a pressing issue or there is any problem or concern, I think uh, communication and being open up that issue will be the first step to find there is to find answers to uh, let people in. The fact that you are open about an issue and a problem, I think, would be easier for you and you'd be closer to finding at least closure of what's going on around you. Well, and I'm, I'm thinking, Fatima, not just the sort of crisis-driven conversation, issue-driven, but just if you are here to say something about general curiosity that people would like to have about a Moroccan background, Moroccan-European background. Um, well, uh, uh, first of all, uh, when I, when we uh, moved here to the United States, like I said, we we moved uh, directly to Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, I can tell you right now, being in the Midwest, whether it's South Dakota or Wyoming, more so like in Sioux City, Iowa, a lot of people do not know where Morocco is. 
for what Moroccan actually, what Moroccan are. So um, a lot of people still think that Moroccan, when they hear Morocco, they think about people, everybody with the, uh, like uh, everybody is uh, covering their hair, uh, the women are covering their hair, and the guys with um, the traditional outfit and things like that. Morocco has changed drastically uh, just from the time that I left until when I went the last time that I was there, which was in 2011, I believe. I mean, uh, don't, you need to remember that Morocco was uh, occupied by France until 1956. So if you're living in Morocco, especially in the big cities, which is like Casablanca, uh, Rabat, uh, Agadir, it's people are uh, most likely uh, would dress like France. Uh, the buildings in the standard city in Casablanca are still worse built by France uh, when uh, Morocco was dominated by, uh, by France at that time. So here in Las Vegas, people, of course, when you say I'm from Morocco, I'm from France, of course, so everybody knows where Morocco is, everybody knows. But it really depends on where you are in the country. There is a lot of people, actually, if you go, like I said, uh, to the Midwest, you don't even know where Morocco is. So it's just... Which can be uh, even more alienating, right? You're already without that sort of social infrastructure, right? The extended family isn't there that identifies you and you identify with, but you're even more exotic if nobody even knows where the heck your your country is. That that must be extremely alienating, Fatima. uh, well, uh, being noticeably different, Claudia, is not as simple, is not simple to navigate. But um, no. that having that strong desire to fit in can certainly succeed as you become as productive member of the society, as um, a productive member of the team, if you're talking about work. But um, we've never regretted moving to this country, not a bit. I would not have this life that I have here if I stayed back in Morocco or if I had it back to France first. So no, this is where the opportunities can happen. This is the, I'm not saying that because I'm in the United States and I'm on your show, but I really mean it. You can do anything and you can become anything because this is the United States of America. But again, nothing happened just like that. You really have to know what you want. You really have to have directions. If you're lucky, you will have folks around you cheering you up and supporting you like you're supporting you're still supporting me I feel like I am blessed to just have met you in 2016 but um uh, well it goes both ways but I and I was just wondering about what was it that I mean we there were a lot of people that were on the project we were on but that for there was some reason why we were both you know really intent on getting acquainted and we just it, it's yes. intermittent our contact, but we're we still are in touch. And I, I don't know if that's there's a way that we presented each other that it's a cautionary tale of a very positive kind about people ought to be open and and pursue and be curious. Um, Claudia, I remember the very first time that I spoke with you. Um, you were sitting on one of those chairs and. Um, at the uh, at the office when we were um, uh, when we were volunteering for the yes. party, and um, you had um, uh, like a granola bar. I remember uh, it's a green granola bar, honey and something. And I asked you, and I was like, "Where did you? What are you eating? What is that?" And you were like, "Well, don't you know what granola are?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do, but I've never seen this kind." And I think that's how we started 
the conversation, then you were like, do you want one? And I was like, absolutely. Then you asked me where I was, uh, what I was doing for the day. I, I told you that I just had lost my job. And I don't even remember the, the rest of it. And that we connected. Then we started, uh, I, could, I could have, have gone and canvassed with anybody else. But for some reason, we just connected. And um, that's not something that happens to me every day, uh, Claudia. Okay, it was that was it was special. Not with everybody, and to be honest with you, <laughs> it yes. is that you are special to me. But um, um, things actually do happen for a reason, and right. um, I do. Well, I am very particular on people that I actually allow in my surrounding. But uh, I, I think you were a blessing, and you're still a blessing. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I always, uh, I never hesitate to say that my radio program is not about me. I'm so Fatima. The last. The last line of questioning, and it's, it is, it's pulling off a scab. And I want to acknowledge that, but I want to know what is it like to be a repatriated American citizen here? And watch, what the heck happened in our capital January 6th? Did you wonder what you decided the right, you were in the right place? Uh, I, well, um... Well, uh, you know what? This is a country where I can speak freely. I can say what's on my mind. Um, I am, after all, a guest on your show. So you asked me uh, about being a citizen of this country and what had happened uh, on January 6th is a sham. It's an embarrassment for the United States of America. That day, all what the words watched is a bunch of mob, bunch of angry, dangerous, insane, crazy, lunatic people. That was an insult on the democracy of this, of this, of this nation, of this country. My mom actually called me and asked if I was okay. My mom never called and asked if I'm okay because she saw something on TV. That was on TV in Morocco and in France and in Italy. People were calling us to ask us if we were okay. People think that it was a coup. I think that was, a, to me, that was, that's, that's an embarrassment. That's, that's I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't, I can't even find words right now. I was scary. Everybody actually was, like you said, what the heck is happening? This is the United States of America. When we talk democracy, th this is what people, the entire planet looks up to the United States. Everybody looks up to the United States. What had happened is, is insane, crazy, and it's really, really an embarrassment to the United States. So Fatima, thank you, dear. I appreciate your taking the time to join me here today on this, your radio debut. It's been a pure delight. Thank you very much. Thanks, Claudia, for having me. And great to be able to chat with you for a bit. And I appreciate you taking the time to shed some light on my sister Miriam's situation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. My guest was Fatima Majid, a Moroccan-American with her immigration story that you just heard. Thanks again. Next week, USC professor Manuel Pastor 
As director of the Equity Research Institute and member of Governor Newsom's Recovery Task Force, we'll speak about a new economic agenda. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening.